So today as we go on, we're going to be looking at loving the lost. So you remember the first one we talked about, what is the gospel, right? Because that's the, the big deal is, is if we're going to share the gospel, we kind of have to know what it is. And the gospel in a nutshell is, is that Jesus Christ lived, he died for our sins, took our place on the cross, he rose again to give us newness of life, and as a result, we are forgiven, we are brand new, and finally, the last bit of that is that it is a free gift and it is available to anyone, amen? Then we looked at the following week, we said, all right, so that's what the gospel is, now what do we do with it? So we looked at the responsibility that we have to share the gospel. Like I said a few moments ago, if we don't share the gospel, angels aren't going to do it, Jesus is not going to come back and do it. Matter of fact, when Jesus comes back, it'll be too late. We have to share the gospel with people, and I would just encourage you to begin to think on that and really think about what that means. It is not a temporary thing we're dealing with. We're talking about these people's, their, their, their eternity. And trust me, they don't want an attorney separated from God, and we definitely don't want that for them either. Then last week, we started talking about the value of the harvest, right? And I, we really focused on how valuable that they really were. And the truth is, an easy litmus test for that is something is, is as valuable as somebody is willing to pay for it. That's how we uh, take, figure out the prices of our, of our homes. Matter of fact, when they, when they price homes, it has nothing to do with the cost of the material to build a house. When, when the market crashed, it was actually more expensive to build a house than you could sell it for because what happened was is a house is valued based on what people are willing to pay for it. When ain't nobody got no money, nobody's paying a lot for a house. And the same is true for us. Our value is not deemed based on our works, our actions, the things that we did, but our value is simply determined by what someone was willing to pay for us. And Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price. He gave his life. God gave his life for you. That's what you've been valued at. But not just those of us in this room, but every single person out there, whether they know Jesus or not, whether they're cursing his name or not, that's how valuable that they are. And today I want to talk about loving the lost. You guys see that I'm keeping up with the times. All the new movies and stuff are coming out with that 80s retro style graphics and stuff. Like, I'm keeping up with it. I'm a hit pastor. You guys, I'm... I'm I just got done watching Thor Ragnarok this weekend, and uh, yeah, definitely they're all switching back to that 80s style, that 80s look, and it was okay. It was a little more campy than the rest of the Avengers movies. It was kind of more like Guardians of the Galaxy instead of Thor. Don't give me that look, Dan. I know you don't know what I'm talking about, but you don't got to give me that look. Jeez. <laughs> Praise God. But today I want to talk about loving the lost. As Christians, with all that's happening in this world, it's super easy to just want to walk away. I know that there's times that I look out at what's going on, and it's like, God, do you really want to save some of these people? I mean, these are awful people. I mean, are they even worth being saved? And it's easy to see all the bad things that are going on and all the bad stuff that's happening in the news, and, and, and we're, it's easy to be disgusted at what's going on. Because how can we be expected to love a people who treat others like that? How can we be expected to love a people that treat women the way that, especially when you're looking globally? You know, the truth is, is that as much as, as uh, 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 many women today want to complain about how bad they have it in the United States, the truth is they have it really, really, really good. Because if they think they have it bad, go stay in a primarily Muslim, uh, a country where the primary religion is Muslim, particularly if it's what's running the government, where Shahira law is what's taking over everything. If you think you have it bad now, it is really bad there. 
But on the flip side of that, how can we be expected to love a people that would treat women like that? They would rape Christian women and say that they are doing it in the name of their God. How can we, we love a people like that? And the truth is, we're not immune to that kind of cultural viewpoint. It's not quite as mainstream, but there are plenty. We see it in the news right now. I mean, Hollywood is literally falling apart right now with uh, the, the accusations and the basically having the light shine on how, how men in power have treated women and other men that were underneath them. How can we have expected to love people like that? What about the shootings that we have? We have shootings in schools all the time over the past few years, and just now in Las Vegas, we had the deadliest shooting in modern history on U.S. soil. Just was last weekend or the weekend, I think it was last weekend, uh, that the, uh, last Sunday, yes, uh, uh, a man walked into a church in Texas and killed 26 people, including the pastor's daughter. If I was that pastor, I would be asking God, how can you expect me to love a person like that? And society today is continuing to push God away. He's not allowed in our schools. He's not allowed, you know, anywhere anymore. It's getting to the point, it's not even allowed in some churches. And then we begin to justify in our own mind. You know, we, we look at that verse and it says, oh, don't cast your pearls be, before swine. And we're like, we're justified in not talking to people. But that's taken out of context, right? That's what, he's, what Jesus is saying is, yeah, if you're talking to somebody and, they're, and they're, they're being belligerent with you and they're just cussing, you probably don't want to preach the gospel to them. It's not going to be effective. But we still pray for those people and God still loves those people. It doesn't mean that we don't care for these people even though it seems like we don't have a reason to do so in the world. And there are even those that would hurt us personally, that have caused pain in our own lives, that have done really dumb things and have hurt us. And we're like, God, how can you expect me to love someone that's done that? You know, And there's all the way from the petty stuff to some pretty serious stuff. People have dealt with some incredibly difficult and serious things in their lives, and, and we're asked to still love them. It doesn't make any sense, God. Why should we still love these people who would do such horrible things? As a matter of fact, the Bible doesn't say we should just love them, but it also says pray for your enemies. And in doing so, you'll heap burning coals on their head. And I always thought that uh, when I heard that verse, I always understood that to mean that, that God was going to burn them up. But the reality is, is that that practice of heaping burning coals on somebody's head was actually how they carried fire from one location to another. So when he's saying that you will heap burning coals on their head, it's not saying that, that God's going to burn them up. It's going to say that you're actually going to be a blessing to them if you'll pray for them. And that's what we should do. And some of you guys are like, but Pastor Wynn, you have no idea. I am praying for them. Just last night I prayed for so-and-so to get hit by a bus. That's not what we're talking about. We should be praying blessing in their lives. We should be praying that God would touch them. Because the truth is, it's not people that we dislike. It's the things that they're doing. And if they weren't who they were, but if they had a brand new life inside of them, they would be completely changed. And we can get behind loving those people, but love doesn't start by their actions. Just like God loved us well before we began living like Christians. It's our duty to love others the same way, amen? So we're going to get started looking at 
God's love being demonstrated for us because to really understand love, you have to understand and have a full revelation of God's love for you. So in Genesis 3, through 24, it says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. You see, God's love was demonstrated from us from the very beginning, even after man had done dumb stuff. First, God cursed the tempter. As soon as Adam and Eve screwed up, the first thing God does is he he curses the tempter. And you see that in Genesis 3.15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And that seed that will bruise the enemy's head is actually Jesus Christ. And as we know, that Jesus has defeated Satan completely. Matter of fact, he's given that authority to us so that we can stand against him. And the last enemy to be defeated is death when Jesus comes back. Finally, he sent man from the garden. And you're like, Pastor Wayne, that doesn't really seem like love. I mean, it seems like God got frustrated and and just kicked us out. But the reality is, is that had we been left in the garden and we would have eaten from the tree of life, then the curse that was upon us because Adam had sinned and and brought that curse of sin and death upon us, then it would have been ours permanently. There would have been no way out. So the reality is, is that when, when, when God sent us from the Garden of Eden, and he blocked the entrance. God wasn't doing that as a, as a fit of punishment, but instead it was actually there to protect us, to save us from being permanently in that state, permanently broken, permanently separated from God. However, the reality is, is that we're going to be able to eat from that tree again. This is what it says in Revelations 2.7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. One day we will get to eat from that tree again. Because you're going to be made brand new when you have Jesus Christ. And so you receive Jesus, you're restored to that perfect position that Adam and Eve held before Adam ate the fruit. And then we're going to be allowed back in and eat from that tree. And the reality is that even the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was an act of love. And that's one thing that I could never understood when I first started reading the Bible. It's like, God, you had to know this was coming. You had to know we were going to be doing something stupid, right? That makes sense. He's God. He knew it was, it was coming. So if he knew it was coming, why would he put that tree in the garden in the first place? Why would there even be the opportunity for us to fail? But the reality is, is if there was no opportunity to reject God, then there is no real love to be had for God. Because that would be what we were forced to do, our only option. And that's no relationship. God wants a relationship with each and every one of you in this room. And that's why we have to choose to have that relationship. God is not forcing anybody to love him. He's not forcing anybody to say yes to him. It's a choice we have to make. And that's why it was there. It was the only choice we had to make at that point. And we screwed it up. But the reality is, is from the very beginning, God demonstrated his love for us. For Adam and Eve, he began to, to 
everything that he did was because of love. Amen? And then we go on in, in 1 John 2.2, 2, it says, He, the speaking of Jesus, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, that's the other thing about God's love is it's all-inclusive. It's not just for Christians, it's for Jews. It, God's love is for everybody. There is not one person shielded from the love of God. Isn't that good news? Not a single person on this earth that's shielded from the love of God. He sent His Son for all of us. The best of us and the worst of us on this earth. Those who have done atrocious, atrocious things, God still sent His Son for them. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus considers us friends, and he laid his life down for us. His love for us is greater than can be imagined. And this love was expressed well before any one of us has been made whole. The truth is, is that you were born broken, but he expressed his love for you 2,000 years ago, well before you were born, well before you said yes. He said, I know he's going, he's going to be born broken. I know she's going to be born broken, and she's gonna, I'm going to give my life now. Well before we were made whole again, his love for us was expressed. And what I'm trying to make the point is, is that you don't have to get right with God first for him to love you. He loves you well before you ever become right with him. And John right now, he's actually preaching this to people who are saved. He's saying to them, he's a propitiation for our sins. But then he adds this little bit here, but not for ours only, also for the sins of the entire world, for the whole world. This means that there are people out there that have their sins paid for and they've not received that free gift. The truth is, church, that sin has been dealt with. Sin has been completely dealt with. Whether you're saved or not, nobody is going to hell because of the sins they're committing. They're going to hell for receiving the free gift of salvation or for not. Now, they are storing up for themselves wrath in heaven if they don't receive that free gift. But the reality is, is that, that sin's been dealt with. It's a done deal. You just have to say, yes, Jesus, I call you. You are my Lord and my Savior. And the reality is, is that even if no one would have said that, if, even if none of us in this room or anyone in this world would have said that, his love for us was so great that he would have still sent his son to pay that price for us on the off chance that one would say yes. And his love is so great for us is that he's being so patient with us to say yes as well. 2 Peter 3.9 says, Lord is not, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is being so patient, giving so much time for people to say yes. And we're like, why hasn't he come back yet? Why? I mean, let's just end this thing. But the truth is, is he's giving everybody an opportunity. I still remember... Uh, going to a youth conference, and there was an incredible turnout. A preacher got up there, and he preached his heart out, and almost the whole crowd, all these youth, all these teenagers, thousands of them, came up, and, and they either gave their life or rededicated their life to the Lord. And I heard somebody say, man, I wish Jesus would just come back right now so that none of these kids have an opportunity to, to backslide, to turn away. And I just remember in my heart going, no. What about all the people that haven't said yes yet? What about all the people that we haven't spoken to and shared with yet? 
Because the reality is that the Great Commission is our responsibility. There are so many people out there that need His love. The need to know Him. Who are walking without hope. Who are searching for something and don't even realize it. That's why so many people get involved in drugs and girls and cars and stuff. Because they're looking for fulfillment in a place that can never be found. In Ephesians 2, 4-7, through it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Once again, we see that Christ was sent for the lost. His great love for us says that He came even for those who were dead in our trespasses, even while we were dead. And we know that God loves us because He sent His Son. See, that's the beautiful thing about that. Nobody has to wonder if God loves them because He demonstrated it so powerfully and so fully that we have no choice but to believe that. He loves us. And as a result of that, we'll begin to see the fruit of that in our lives when we receive that free gift of salvation because we are made alive in Him. Then we're raised up and seated with Him in heavenly places. And we are elevated well above the place that we occupied before we had Him in our lives. And these things are the result of His love for us. Jesus doesn't want you to stay where you're at. He doesn't want people stuck in the place that they're at. He doesn't want them hurting. He doesn't want them in pain. He doesn't want them to have no hope. He wants to raise them and elevate them out of that. So the reality is when we look out into the world and we see all these lost and broken people, we see these wicked people, we see these people doing awful and atrocious things, And even really the kind and the the good people of this world, if they don't know Jesus, we still know that God loves them. No matter what they've done, what they've accomplished, in their trespasses, God loved them. And He doesn't require them to get their act together before they hear about His love. He doesn't require them to get their act together before He will go ahead and accept them into His family. To adopt them in His sons, they only have to say yes. It's funny how many of us Before we're saved, we think we have to get right before God can love us. And even sometimes Christians, after they're saved, they hold other people to that that, uh, really unholy standard that they get themselves right before God will accept them in. And if we would just take a step back, particularly for all of us with kids, and realize that that's kind of not how parenting works. None of us has ever said that, uh, you know, I just had my kid. You know, just, just like you guys, just had a baby. You guys aren't going... We're going to see how he behaves to decide if we love him. You guys, you guys thinking that way? We're going to see how he turns out. If he turns out okay, we're going to love him. If he doesn't, we're giving him the boot. Anybody, any parent ever thought like that? No. Why do we think God would think about us any differently? Why do we think God, I mean, if we're such good parents, how do we think that we're going to outdo God? God's not waiting for us to get right, to, to prove ourselves before he'll let us in. Even those who do awful and horrific things. I want you to know that God loved Hitler. God loved the guy that shot all those people in Vegas. God loved the guy that walked into that church last weekend. 
I wish he would have recognized that love before he did such a terrible thing. But the things he did doesn't change God's love for him. God loves them. And that means we should too. That should cause us to want to go out in the world and tell people about Jesus for a couple of reasons. One, because if God loves them, so should we. And that kind of love, I mean, think about the love that you have for your family. And, uh, family, your family, it's one of those days. Think about the love that you have for your family and what it causes you to do for them. What will you do for your family because you love them? What will you do for your friends because you love them? Why wouldn't we do the same things for them? Because we should love them all the same. And the reality is, is if we want to see this world change, if we want to see a different mentality, if we want to see people living differently, if you want to see the laws in your country change, if you want to see uh, anything change, the truth is laws aren't going to do it. Stricter rules aren't going to do it. Changed hearts are the only thing that's going to change this country. And that's our job, church, is to tell people about him, to share with him. We can begin to see how to, to uh, he's moving up the I'm not going to love him meter. <laughs> the reality is, though, is, is that if we want to learn how we're supposed to act, we simply just have to look at Jesus to see the example that he set for us. If you're like, Wayne, that's crazy. We shouldn't be treating people like that. Let's just take a look at the one who we're supposed to imitate. First, we begin to see in Jesus what perfect theology is. And John 5.19, it says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. First, we find out that Jesus only does things that he sees the Father doing. That means that we know that anything that Jesus does is the will of the Father, right? Simple, simple, we can see that it's, it's a simple math problem. A equals B, B equals C. You guys remember that in school? That, anybody remember that? Basically, if Jesus does something that he only sees God doing, then it's, then it's, it's his will. Because Jesus only does what, what he sees God doing. He's perfect theology. It always cracks me up when people say, oh, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Not really. It's kind of in there. You just got to crack open. your. It's only mysterious to you because you haven't read your Bible since you were four. Read your Bible more often and things wouldn't be so mysterious to you. We can see what God wants in our lives by looking at what Jesus did. We can look at the life Jesus lived on earth and see how God feels for us. Guess what? People are wondering, is it God's will for me to be healed? Let's look at the life of Jesus. Can you guys remember the story when that guy came up to Jesus and said, Lord, will you heal me? And he said, no, nah, you're going to have to figure out your life first. Anybody remember that story? Yeah, because it's not there. There's not one case in the Bible when somebody came up for healing from Jesus where he said, no, get your life figured out. It is the will of God for us to be healed and to be whole. The only requirement was that they come. He never turned the lepers away. So we're worried about people that, are, that aren't good enough, they're not clean enough. The lepers came to him, and not only did Jesus talk to the lepers and heal them, but, but Jesus touched the lepers. These people weren't allowed to be in contact with people because it would have made them unclean according to Jewish law. They're not supposed to regular Jewish people, let alone God. 
But Jesus didn't care. He called them in. He laid hands on them. He prayed for them. They became well. We see that the will of God is not to shun people and keep them away. The will of God is to have people come in no matter what position they are in life. The goal is for them to walk away changing. Amen? The lepers, you remember, they walked away. They weren't even healed yet. Jesus said, go, you're healed. Go talk to the priest. And they're like, okay, it doesn't look right. But by the time they got there, they were healed. They came into God's presence. They weren't perfect. And it's interesting that they left God's presence and they still weren't perfect. But as they walked, their life changed. As they began to realize God's promise and purpose and impact on their lives, they began to change. One of my favorite stories, because I don't know how I'd react, is when they ripped up that guy's roof to let the guy through the roof. I don't know if I would have been as gracious as Jesus as if our place was packed and somebody puts a hole in our roof to drop somebody in. He doesn't get mad at them for doing something stupid. He was impressed by their willingness and their faithfulness to come to him. That was what was important. And there are so many more examples. Matter of fact, we, we're going to look at a few of them right now, but there's so many examples. And if you want to know what God's will is for your life, just begin to read the Gospels. See what Jesus did. That is his will. For you. And in Mark 2, 14 through 17, it says, As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So you guys, we, remember we looked at the story a little bit last week. Levi here is actually later has his name changed to Matthew. It's a beautiful thing. Whenever Jesus calls the disciple, he, he renames him. Did you guys notice that? You want to know why that is? Because when you start following Jesus, you're not who you used to be. You're made brand new. You're somebody else. The old person is dead and gone, and you are made brand new. Start renaming all of you guys. Can I call you Bartholomew? <laughs> anyway, I'm only going to pick out ridiculously funny biblical names to start renaming all you guys. Everybody cool with that? Well, we, we look at, at this guy. He's a tax collector. He's a sinner. And, and he's, he's serving the Roman government, collecting taxes from the Jews. So as we talked about before, man, tax collectors were not thought of very highly. It's like tax collectors and then sinners. I mean, they were thought of less as sinners because they were essentially stealing from the from the the Jewish people, they oftentimes were, were probably more, more than often, almost always were not very good people. They were, they were stealing from the Jews. They were, they were taking more than their fair share, and they were becoming rich. They were oppressing the Jewish people and helping the Roman government oppress the Jewish people, and, and they really just didn't like them. So can you imagine when this guy that comes back who's the Messiah, and, and some of them might have been getting an idea of who he was, and then he's asking tax collectors to follow him? Can you imagine how confused they were? And this guy, we don't know if, if, if Levi or Matthew was honest or not. It doesn't really say. Probably wasn't. That's kind of the theme of the time, if you're one of those people. But then Jesus says, you know what? You're not who you used to be. Get up and follow me. So he gets up and he starts following Jesus. And you have to imagine this guy has a pretty good job. I mean, he may not be well-liked, but he's got money. He's taking care of business. His family's taken care of. 
I don't know how well he slept at night, but the truth is, is that he left a lucrative position to follow Jesus. He set it all behind him and said that I'm going to follow him no matter what. You see, one of the things about following Jesus that is that oftentimes, yeah, all the time, requires sacrifice. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we have to do things that we don't want to do. Sometimes we have to give up stuff like this guy collecting taxes probably wasn't a good part of his life that he needed to give up. And he had to leave that behind so that it wasn't in the way and he could serve Jesus fully. And he walked away. He began to burn bridges. There's no way when you get up and walk away from your post that she's getting that job back if this doesn't work out. You know, there's no plan B. It's I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what. And I love it because every time they're touched by Jesus, they are changed. They're not who they used to be. Matter of fact, they go do the very things that we're supposed to be doing. You should be, basically what should happen is you should get touched, give your life to Jesus, see a change in your life, and begin to tell others about him. That's what that, this immediately happens. He gets saved, follows, or gets touched by Jesus, starts following him, heads back to his house, invites all his friends, and says, hey, let me, let me introduce this guy I just met. His name's Jesus. He's pretty awesome. Matter of fact, there were so many sinners and tax collectors in there that the, that the, the, uh, the other religious folks of the time, the Jewish religious folks, they were, they were freaking out. Like, why is he with all these people? Why is he reclining with tax collectors and sinners? They were confused about Jesus. But it's because Jesus didn't care where they were at the moment that he met them. Because he knew that he had something better for them. And if they would just get to know him, if they would say, yes, I'll follow you, things would change in their life. And they really didn't know the implication of that yet. Matter of fact, we see Peter later, he's confused when he said, Jesus, I got to die. And he's like, no, you don't. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. You don't know what you're talking about. Because they hadn't quite fully understood it, but they knew that they were going to follow him. And ultimately, one day they would receive him as their Lord and Savior. But Jesus hung out with the people that we would consider not so good people. Jesus hung out with the people that were oppressing God's people, holding, stealing from them, making their life miserable. And Jesus hung out with them. And the reason is, is because Jesus is not concerned with what they're doing. He's concerned about bringing them into the fold, bringing them into his family. Before Jesus, all these people were just as broken as any of us were before we met Jesus. But afterwards, they were going to change. And nonetheless, Jesus loved them no matter what. You know, Jesus had to know that probably not everybody in that room was going to receive him, but he still loved them just the same. He still treated them just the same. Matter of fact, one of his 12 disciples was the devil, and he treated him the same. He loved him the same, even knowing what he was going to do. When we look at the sinners and the tax collectors in our present age, we need to see them like Jesus did, to welcome them in to love them, feel empathy for them, hurt for them, because if they don't receive Jesus, their pain is going to be eternal. In John 8, 3 through 11, it says, yeah, I skipped part of this. Uh, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. 
But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So now we come across this woman who's obviously caught in a sinful act. It says they caught her in the act and dragged her from the bed. Somehow they missed the guy, apparently. Uh, guys couldn't sin at this point. It was only women. So he, they, they pulled her out, forgot all about this guy who was actually required under law to be stoned just as well as her. And they pull her out, drag her before Jesus, or trying to test him, and says, Jesus, look what this, we caught this woman doing. What are you going to do about it? What do you say about that? And we see an incredible act of mercy and kindness on Jesus' part. And he begins to bend down and begins to write in the sand and says, which one of you without sin? Go ahead and cast the first stone. And it's been said, people have theorized what was Jesus writing in the sand. And I don't know, nobody really knows, but one of the things that's said is, what if he was began to, to write down the sins of the people as they were looking on? Which one of you is without sin as he's writing him? And they're like, oh, I guess he knows. I don't know what he was writing. He could have been drawing. He could have been playing a hangman for all I know. But the reality is, is they, they understood the question. What, which one of you have not sinned in your life? Go ahead and cast the first stone. So they all walked away. None of them stayed around. The love that Jesus showed for this woman, who was, by all accounts, she was caught red-handed. She was guilty. The wages of sin is death, and particularly in the law, in this particular one, it was immediate death. You were, they, were, they were stoned to death when they were caught in adultery. But Jesus showed mercy and kindness to her. Now, don't ever be confused by the mercy and kindness that Jesus shows to us. It is not saying that what we do is okay. By Jesus loving us is never saying that sin is okay. Matter of fact, what did he say to her? I don't condemn you, but knock it off. That's the New Wayne translation. Sometimes you just need to knock it off. Quit doing the stuff that you're doing. He loves you so much to meet you where you're at, to meet you where you're at, but he doesn't want you to stay where you are. He wants something inside of you to change, to grow, to be free and victorious over the stupid that you're dealing with right now. And sometimes we just have to knock it off. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because we're running out of time. One of the things we have to understand, and there's more stories. Read your Bible. You'll see plenty of them how Jesus dealt with people. It's not just one. It's not just two. The entire New Testament, particularly the gospel, shows how Jesus loved and cared for people. And he met them wherever they were at. And they didn't have to be perfect before they talked to him. And the reality is, is that Christians, which just means little Christ. It means that we're to be the same as him, just a smaller version is why I'm losing weight. I was a much bigger version for a while. I'm trying to get to be a little Christ. And the Christians, we're little Christ. We're supposed to walk in his footsteps. We're supposed to look like him. When people see you, they, said, they should see Jesus. When God sees you, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see your flaws and your failures. He sees the perfectness of your son. A novel idea would be to let other people see that in you as well, by how you live your life. And 1 John 2.6 says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If you abide in him, walk in the way that he walked. If you don't walk in the way that he walked, begin to seriously examine where you abide. 
See, if you want to see with the eyes of God, if you want to look at the lost, even the less desirable ones, and love them, you're going to have to walk like he walked. You're going to have to see with his eyes. Because if you look through your own eyes, this, peop- this place, this world is full of awful and terrible people. And really, if you take an honest look, yourself included. We've all done some awful things. We've all done stuff that we've never told our, our spouses or none of our friends know, the only person that God knows, and we wish that he didn't. But the reality is, is that none of that matters because of what he's accomplished inside of us. We have to recognize that that love is there. That was this whole morning. I wanted to show you what his love for us looks like because if we can recognize that, then we can begin to replicate that and let his love flow through us out into the world to other people. Even those who rejected or ridiculed Jesus, he still loved. Even those who will reject and ridicule you, he still loved, and we should still love. And, the, and Jesus said, if the world hated me, it will hate you. We are going to come against people who will push back and want nothing to do with us, but it doesn't change our responsibility, and it sure as heck doesn't change our love for them, or it shouldn't. Most of us were all in that place at one time, particularly if you didn't grow up in the church. We're in a place where we wanted nothing to do with God. And I'm so thankful people kept coming to me, kept inviting me, kept trying to push past whatever was in the way. I'm so thankful that they didn't give up because I would still be lost without somebody pushing through all of my rejections, all of my insults, all of my thinking that, man, how are you going to be so dumb for thinking something like this? But they pressed through. We should imitate him. Galatians 2.20, Paul says this, I've been crucified with Christ. It is, I, not I, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That should be the mark of a Christian is Christ living through you. If you've been saved and you look at your life and it doesn't look any different from when you were saved, from before you were saved, begin to reevaluate what's going on in your life because it may take a while, like the lepers. They, they were in God's presence, and it didn't happen immediately. It took some time, and slowly, over time, as they were walking to the, to the priest, they were healed. Sometimes it takes time. I know for me it did. I got saved a long time ago, and I stood on the starting line for so many years. I didn't instantly get free from everything. Part of it, because I wasn't really taught that I was. But over time, things change, and I'm not the same person that I used to be. And if you've been saved and you're the same person that you always were, begin to reevaluate where you are because you should begin to see at a minimum change, growth. We need to be moving forward. It doesn't have to happen all at once, but there should be changes in your life. But that's not what I'm preaching about today. You guys are distracting me. But the reality is, is that that change in your life should inspire you to share with others because I look back now and, and I don't even like going to some I don't like going downtown in Tucson at night because it reminds me of a life that I would soon rather not be reminded of because that's not who I am and I don't want to be like that again. And I wish people could have what I have because I tell you what, serving God is good. It is awesome. He is so faithful. It's, I'm not saying it's not hard. It's not difficult. There aren't times when it just would be easier to give up and go back but it's always so worth it. 
and to see what God's done in my life and to see what God's done in your lives. There's, there's not a greater uh, pleasure than that in the entire world than to see people grow in Christ. But I want that for more than just us, and we should want that for others. And the truth is, we look out in the world today and we think that there's nobody out there that wants to know Christ. I mean, if they did, how could they act the way that they're acting? And, and Pastor Wayne, I've talked to people, and they just look at me like I'm crazy. They don't want anything to do with me. Some of them have even been insulting to me. Some just give me you know, platitudes, just hoping that I'll go away. It doesn't seem like anybody wants to know Jesus. But the truth is, is that the harvest is plentiful. In John 4.35, it says, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Jesus saw a sea of people that needed him. And he went out into the world. He shared with them. He sat with them. He went to where they were. He went to Levi's co-worker's house. How many of you guys have went over with your co-worker not with the intent of fitting in with them, but with the intent of sharing the love of Christ with them. Meet people where they're at. Share his love with them. And it can, there are so many ways to do it. It can start small. Some of us who are more mature, we're a little more bold, but if you're just starting and you're not sure what to do, get on our Facebook page. Like our, start sharing our Facebook posts with people so they can see the love of God in your life. Invite them to church. Inviting people to church is easy. And most polls say that a significant, um, I would just make up a stat right now, but I have no idea what it is. I just remember it's a high, a high percentage of people, if they were just invited, would come to church with you. If they don't have a ride, give them a ride. If they keep saying no over and over again, hit them over the head, throw them in your trunk. No, don't do that. Or take them to a different church if you do that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we have a responsibility to share this love with people. And we think that, that nobody wants to hear it. But the scripture says, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white under harvest. You know, there was a time when I didn't want to hear it. But people pressed through. And I'm not talking about being judgmental. I'm not talking about carrying your Bible around and beating people over the head with it. Just show them love. Show them that you care. Invite them to church. Invite them to church functions. Invite them to your house and show them what it means to, to have the love of God in you. Go to their house. Show them love. Take care of them. Make an impact. Because the truth is, is if we want to see this city change for Jesus Christ, we're going to have to go out into it and tell people about him. And we will have stuff organized to do that as a church, but it's not just the church corporately's responsibility. And it's sure as heck not just the pastors or the few leaders in the church. It's each and every one of our individual responsibility to share Jesus Christ with people. Because God loved us so much, we should love them the same. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Hallelujah. I just want to take a moment right now. You've heard a lot today about how God loves us. And if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never even heard that God loves you, you've not heard about what's going on here, I want, I want to make sure that you have that opportunity. So many of us think that we have to perform, we have to get right with God, we have to do the right things. 
to, to make God love us, to make God care about us. But the reality is, is that God loves you right where you're at. He doesn't care about the things that you've done. It, there's nothing that you've done that could be so bad that he won't love you, that he won't accept you. So if you've never said yes to Jesus, said, yes, Lord, you are my Lord and my Savior. You've never received that free gift of salvation, or you don't feel right with God, but you would like to be, now is your opportunity, now is your chance. I want you to know that he loves you more than anything, and he just wants you to say yes, receive the free gift of salvation. He sent his son to pay for your sins because he loves you more than you could ever imagine. And if that's you this morning, if you've not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and to be clear, going to church isn't enough. Even if you've gone your whole life, that's not enough. You have to make a decision. It's not about the things that you've done. It's about saying yes. So if there's anybody here this morning and they've not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and they'd like to, just go ahead and raise your hand so that I can pray with you. And praise God. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your great love and your goodness. Father, I pray that this morning that we were challenged to step out and share our faith with others, that they could share in the same life-giving power that you've given to us. Father, I pray that we would recognize that we have a treasure in earthen vessels, Lord but there's so much more than enough than just for us. So I pray that when we look into the world, our heart hurts for those who don't know you. Lord, that it would break our hearts enough that it would cause us, it would spur us to share the love of Jesus with them. And Father, I pray as a result that we are going to see salvations, we are going to see revival, we're going to see this church fill up, but not just this church fill up, Father. Every life-giving church in this community, Lord, fill up as people come to know you. And Father, we just thank you your great love for us and thank you for giving us the opportunity to share it with others in jesus name amen amen hallelujah we're going to go ahead and bring joseph up to receive the offering and do the announcements this morning